welcome to a British Railway History program from Podcasting Net. The title of this podcast is George Bradshaw and His Railway Guides. My name is Dr. David Robinson, and I am your host. George Bradshaw, the originator of the railway guide named after him, was born on the 29th of July, 1801, at Windsor Bridge, Salford. His parents gave him a good education, and at the age of 19 he joined the Society of Friends and warmly endorsed the Peace Party's cause. He first apprenticed as an engraver, and in 1822, at the age of 21, went into business for himself as a printer in Belfast, Ireland. After this business venture failed, he returned to Manchester to seek employment. He soon became a map engraver. His map of British canals and inland navigation is highly prized to this day. Principal works which bear his name are Bradshaw's Railway Timetable, 1839, Bradshaw's Railway Companion, also in 1839, Bradshaw's Railway Guide in 1841, Bradshaw's Continental Timetable, 1847, and Bradshaw's Railway Shareholders Manual in 1849. In addition, there was a threepenny sheet timetable and in 1898 a threepenny English railway guide. In addition, there were individual guides to various continental countries. In this program, we'll focus on the monthly railway and steam navigation guide of 1898. The first edition was published December 1st, 1841. It had 32 pages, but it didn't have an index. Many intermediate stations were omitted, and altogether it was a very basic work. It was preceded by Railway Timetables and the Railway Companion, both first published in 1839. One of them gave the times of the trains in the north of England, and the other of those trains in the south of England. Both were illustrated with maps and plans of several towns, well drawn and engraved by George Bradshaw himself. The railway timetables and railway companion were pocket-sized cloth-bound books, four and a half inches by two and a half inches. They were published somewhat irregularly, selling at sixpence and one shilling respectively. The Railway Companion was published until 1848, coming out occasionally. There were about 20 issues in all. The current monthly guide, that is for 1898, was first sold at sixpence, and the buff-coloured cover has been maintained. There were at least two persons who claimed to have originated the guide. One was a Mr. Gadsby, who first published a monthly timetable leaflet in January 1840. His claim appears to rest solely on the issue of a monthly timetable. 
which consisted of only four pages. It was confined to railways to and from the city of Manchester, whereas Bradshaw covered all railways then operational in the British Isles. The second claimant was Robert Kay. Mr. Kay was a printer in Bradshaw's employment who rose through the ranks to become a foreman and afterwards an editor. George Bradshaw's son William has stated that Kay was not involved in the design or the origin of the guide. He was merely an employee of Mr. Bradshaw. Mr. Kay remained with Mr. Bradshaw many years after he was no longer capable of working. In fact, Bradshaw kept Kay on the payroll until he died, partly out of respect for his long and trusty service, and because he was the man who set up the type of the first issue. By February 1898, issue number 775 was published, and it was still priced at sixpence. In August of 1897, there were 946 pages, plus 46 pages of index. Almost 20,000 stations were listed, all arranged in alphabetical order. Over 260 pages were devoted to advertisements, leaving about 750 pages for train times, as against the 32 pages in 1841. Regarding advertisements, nearly every available portion of spare space was used, including the back of the map and even the back of the book itself. One of the principal reasons why Bradshaw was so successful is that scarcely any repetition of trains occurred, and its accuracy was second to none. The railway companies promptly advised him of all schedule changes in order that the type may be corrected well in advance of the publication date. The required train changes at railway junctions are clearly indicated by marginal notes against the junction station, denoting the page on which the corresponding trains are to be found. give a better idea of what extraordinary items of information could be found in Bradshaw in 1848, imagine yourself about to travel and before doing so consulting its pages. For example, let's suppose you wanted to make a journey from London in 1848. The first decision was whether you would require a postboy to horse your private carriage to the station for which there would be a charge of ten shillings and sixpence. Then, if you wanted to ride in your own carriage, on top of a railway carriage frame, you would have to pay second-class fare. If you were taking bulky luggage, it had to be labelled and placed upon the roof of the carriage you were going to ride in, or if small, placed under the seat opposite yours. Should it be night and you wanted to sleep on the way, you could pay for a compartment which could be converted into a bed carriage. You also would have the option of using either a four- or six-seated compartment. If you had a family, 
Any infant unable to walk would be transported at no charge. If you traveled third class, most of the northern companies would allow you 100 pounds of free luggage, and you could claim the seat corresponding to the number printed on your ticket. To interest you on your way, a table was included in your guide showing the speed you were traveling. It showed how many seconds it takes to travel a quarter of a mile, from which you could calculate the speed from one mile an hour to a fanciful 400 miles an hour. The 1898 speed of a mile a minute was more than anticipated by Bradshaw in 1848. If you had time to spare before you began your trip, Bradshaw would even tell you what places of amusement you could go to. As regards trip duration, it would take you only an hour and a half to travel from London to Brighton. The 5 p.m. train reached there at 6.30 p.m. with one stop at Reigate not much slower than its timing in 1898. The 9.30 a.m. from London Paddington arrived at Exeter at 2.30 p.m., which was by no means a bad performance with six stops, including ten minutes at Swindon. Of course, you had to remember that on one of the railways there were no trains on a Sunday between the hours of 10 a.m. and 1 p.m., those being the hours of church service. Day tickets were issued by certain trains at one-third less than the usual fares. In refreshment rooms at Manchester Victoria Station, you could eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, or tea and coffee, and wines and malt liquors of the best description for a moderate charge. Rates for horses, carriages, and dogs were also advertised in Bradshaw, but other things very common by 1898 were never dreamt of. Bicycle, for example. Contrast all this with a journey you could have taken in 1898. You could request that the station master send a one-horse omnibus to your residence to take you to the station for the small charge of three shillings or call for your luggage at sixpence per package. Instead of the parliamentary fare-controlled train taking nine hours to Liverpool, you could go in half the time, and when you reached your destination there would be the company's hotel porters waiting to carry your luggage to their hotels. The 1898 first-class carriages were very much the same as they were in 1848, but there was so little difference between the comforts provided in third and first-class that almost 80% of all passengers chose to travel third class. In 1898, you could go from London to Manchester and back, dine on your way, transact a full day's business, and never miss a minute's rest. There's a story about two working class men who were consulting Bradshaw and were puzzled by the mysterious signs AM and PM. It resulted in their concluding, after much deliberation, that they must mean a penny a mile and penny a mile. In the later years of the 19th century, an attempt was made to overcome the AM-PM complexity.
by printing in very black type the times from 12.01 noon to 11.59 at night. The use of figures from 1 to 24 o'clock had, as an alternative, also been employed with not much greater success. Bradshaw's Continental Guide was perhaps a more wonderful book than the United Kingdom Guide. The first number was published in June 1847. This book appeared monthly and by 1898 reached over 600 editions with more than a thousand pages. There were 300 pages of advertisements and 7,000 stations listed. George Bradshaw died of cholera on September the 9th, 1853, while on a journey of business and pleasure near Christiana, Norway. He was buried in Oslo. Bradshaw may safely be stated to be the best and oldest railway guide, and it is difficult to find a reason for suggesting any improvement in it. One exception would be the inclusion of a condensed table in boulder type, giving all the trains by all routes between London, Birmingham, Liverpool, Manchester, Edinburgh and Glasgow. It would save many a weary search for the millions living in those cities, as well as the thousands who travel between those places. They would welcome such an innovation. The railway companies themselves give this information as regards their own routes, and it seems quite feasible for a page or two of Bradshaw to be set aside for such a purpose. With this suggestion, we bid our long with this suggestion we bid our lifelong friend goodbye and look forward to studying old copies of his guides and doing some armchair travel. If you want more information on the subject of Bradshaw, you can purchase a copy of The Story of Bradshaw's Guide, 1890, in Kindle e-book format on Amazon. The link is amazon.com slash dp slash b01n10 B C 9 P. You will also find a link to the ebook in the listing of this podcast. Thank you and come back for future programs. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends. Thank you and goodbye.